Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Our core identity is the title of this ninth message in the Great Mystery series. Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. I'm so glad that you've been a part of our service so far. And I believe that God has some really great things to uh, speak to us about today. And so we're going to draw the truth out of the text. But before we do, um, let me just encourage you a little bit. It won't be long before we're going to be able to reopen the doors of the church and um, attempt to kind of come back to what we've been used to. Things are no doubt going to be a lot different. So over this next couple of weeks, I want to challenge you to really pray for your pastor, pray for our leaders and our staff in particular, as we work really hard to put in place good and appropriate, safe um, methods for us to come back together. So we're targeting May 31st, and uh, we're pretty excited about it. Things are going to be different. So I really want to challenge you to be patient with us as we start easing back into the new world um, that we're going to be all living in. I think it's good. I think the church has uh, flourished and actually thrived during this time. We've had to really do things a lot different, but I love a great challenge like that. And I think the church has risen to the occasion and we have continued to fulfill our mission and our mandate. So if you're new with us today, thank you for uh, coming alongside of us. And we look forward to meeting you eventually face-to-face when we come back together. But today we want to continue this series called um, The Great Mystery. And I love this terminology because it's right out of this letter from Paul to the people in Colossians, the people in Colossae. He's writing this letter from prison, and he's actually never met these people in person. He's gotten great reports, though, from his guys who've carried out their mission and presented the gospel and taught these people about Jesus. And so he's had a a theme in this letter about presenting or making sure that every person that comes to Christ is, uh, becomes a, a mature Christ follower, fully complete in Christ. And so he's given lots of instructions up to this point. He's warned them of a few things that are out there that are present some danger. And now he's gonna teach us how we are to live in Christ. And in particular today, we're going to talk about our core identity in Christ. So we all have an identity that's uh, usually um, got to do with the things that we're good at. You know, my identity is kind of wrapped up in being a pastor. And if you're an an engineer or um, you're you're a mother or a, a father, you know, we get wrapped up in our identity as a teenager. Sometimes we're seeking out our own a unique identity that's different from our parents. So identity is a big deal. But what Paul's going to address today is what our core identity should be, and it should be all grounded in and built in and acquired from our relationship with Christ, our relationship with Jesus. So he's going to talk about our core identity being 
in Christ. So let's first turn to chapter three. That's where we are in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at four verses today, just briefly. Paul says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. Wow, these are some of my most favorite verses in this letter. And I think you're going to see why. Because how we live, how each of us lives, even right now, is largely based on our perception of our core identity. At the core of who we are, that uh, is all about our, 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 perception, our perception. So our basic mindset uh, of who we are and how we perceive ourselves actually determines how we live in the world. And so what you're thinking about, where you're headed, <laughs> what you're doing generally determines how you live in the world. So what your mind is focused on, right? So this is where we come finally in this letter, how we live. And I, I really like that. That's practical, basic truth that I, uh, I need. How, do I, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to live right now in particular? So Paul stated in chapter one, when you go back to chapter one, you kind of just do a little re review. He stated again that his goal for the Colossians is to present them, every person, every person mature in Christ, to be complete in Christ, to become like Christ, to become like Jesus, and to live like Christ. So critical to this process is the drastic identity shift that takes place in our lives when we believe in Jesus. There's an identity shift, and it's really important to make that shift and it's a journey and it's a process, right? Because we are leaving old things behind. And, uh, and as we continue to grow and as we continue to, to live in the culture that we live in, sometimes we acquire identity in things um, and, and we shouldn't. So we, this is a great reminder for all of us, um, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus. So Paul began to talk about living in Christ at a major transition point in his letter in chapter two, verses six and seven. Let's just look at those verses just for a minute, just by way of kind of looking back, because he uses this word therefore, and that means that you got to go back, you know, into chapter one and chapter two to kind of remind yourself of what he's about to teach you. So in verses six and seven, it says, therefore, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. That's a really great verse because it uses language about this process and where you began with Christ. So Paul then gave some warning about the influence of certain teachings and um, Explain, uh, explaining their errors. But now in chapter three, right? Paul's theme is living in Christ. So my, my first point here is the foundation for living um, in Christ. That's, that's really important because Paul begins with a foundational assumption. 
all right? A foundational assumption, and he's using that word therefore, right? So here's his foundational assumption right here. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, right? This alludes to the drastic change that happens in all of our lives, in our core identity, right? When we come to Jesus, and, and, and so Paul's referred to this throughout his letter. In chapter 1, when you go back to chapter 1, Paul says this in Colossians 1.13. He says, he, or God, right, delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves. And then a few verses later, in verse 21, look what he has to say. These two verses, verse 21 and 22, he says, And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your mind, minds, as expressed through your evil deeds. But now he's reconciled you, or he's made you right, in other words, by his physical body through death to present you holy without blemish and blameless before him. So this is really foundational theological principles about the work of Jesus. So how did we get transformed into the new kingdom that he's talking about? How were we reconciled or made right to God? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's really, really foundational, right? So Paul's statement in chapter 3, verse 1, is parallel. It's a parallel statement to chapter 2, verse 20. Let's just look at 2, verse 20, right? If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? He said, you've been changed. That old life has died, right? And it's died with Christ. Dying with Christ and being raised with Christ is Paul's foundational argument in um, chapter 2. Verses 11 through 13. And it's, he uses this argument to dispel the logic of the false teachers that these people have kind of come under the influence of. And false teachers and false thinking and false teaching invades our lives just like it invaded their lives. They said, there's something you got to do extra. There's these other things that are missing in order to be fully complete. And Paul's like, no, no, no. No, no, it's about Jesus and his death. That's where the transform, transformation and the change all takes place. So in verses 13 and 14, then you can see in chapter two of Colossians, he says, and even though you were dead in your transgressions or your sins, right? And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions or your sins. He's destroyed what, um, what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Now we know that the cross is so important, why he died for us, right? So when we, uh, when, when we believe in Jesus and his death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, then a drastic core Identity change takes place in us, right? And it, we are changed and transformed from the inside out. So this is why the, the um, baptism is such a big deal and the picture of it. And I believe um, a public baptism is really important. You know, I, I've been known to kind of discourage like baptism in your backyard with just your friends and your loved ones. Not that it doesn't count or anything like that, but, but 
when, when you publicly do this, you know, in front of the church, the body of Christ, it's, it's presenting a picture of what we believe and it's motivating and, and encouraging. And it's a stand and be counted moment to demonstrate who we are and who our identity is in now, right? So a believer is united in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? What happened to Jesus happens to us also. We are in him and we are with him completely loved and accepted. This is Paul's argument and presentation as to why we don't need strict disciplines of rules and, and, and all this stuff, stuff involvement with some other powers in order to reach spiritual maturity and all these churchy things sometimes that um, we sort of impose on each other, right? Spiritual formation does not begin with a sin management program either, managing your sin. No, 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 no. It begins with resurrection, being raised with Christ. We are severed from the old life and we are bound to the new one. The old life dies. Again, so you're standing there in the baptistry pool and it's like your old life is represented, right? And then you die. You're taken down below the water, buried with Christ. The water represents his blood, washing us clean and then raised to a new life. What a picture. Living in Christ begins by growing an understanding of our new core identity as a result of dying and rising with Christ. That's why baptism is such a key step. It's a command, right? And it's an act of obedience. It's what he asks us to do because it's, it's so symbolic and it's such a picture of who we are now and what our identity is all about, right? So early in life, you're right, when you're a kid, remember that? Our identity is formed by our family and our environment. And so the Pitneys had this mantra um, our whole uh, life as a young family, like this is who we are and what we do. And it had a lot to do with our core identity with Christ, truly, right? So life is very, struc very structured through our school years like that in our, our, our young life. But when we start living on our own and we begin to realize that life doesn't turn out the way it imagines. So when you move out, when you go away to school, when you, you get a job, you, you, you graduate from high school and all those things, right? Our culture tells us some things, right? It tells us that then if we go to the right school after that, when we get into the right college or we find the right person to marry, we have um, a good job, an enjoyable job, a job that we should enjoy, right? And that we're passionate about. The, our, our culture tells us that those are the most important things for us to accomplish eventually. But they aren't. They really, really aren't. The most important thing is claiming our new identity in Christ. That's the most important thing that we can do. Let's talk about living in Christ because this is my next point here. Based on the fact that we've been raised with Christ now and have a new core identity, Paul insists on two things. He insists on it. He says, this is vital. This is important. And so I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm going to admonish you regarding these things. So he says it really strongly, actually, in its original language. Here it comes. You ready? In verse one, he says, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Above is a really important word. It refers to the heavenly realms where Christ is currently living, residing, 
all right, where he's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. The right hand is a, a symbol of honor and glory. So it's an, it's an important honoring position here. Sitting, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And so Paul is referring to Christ's ascension, his enthronement, and his sovereign rule. And this is definitely, I think, referring to Psalm 110. And uh, in Psalm 110, verse 1, it's a really... Um, really important verse. Let's just look at it. It says, here's the Lord's proclamation to my Lord. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Psalm 110 was a regular part of early preaching and teaching. And it is alluded to or quoted in the New Testament 33 times, at least 33 times. Christ has been enthroned. He's in in the heavens. He will continue to rule until all his enemies have submitted to him. And I like that language of just being a footstool. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. So here's the second insistence that Paul has. And it's really good. It's similar though. He says in verse two, he says, keep thinking about things above, not things on earth, not things on the earth. Keep thinking means to get your mind to consider things. Use your mind and be intentional. It's a way of thinking that implies that the way we think is related to how we live. Isn't that true? Right? Isn't that true? Can I just get a little um, little edgy with you? Because just think about this for a minute. (laughs) I'm going to push a button and it's okay. It's okay. Think about this because I'm not being critical. I'm I'm just stating some truth. What news organizations that people watch on TV, it definitely influences their way of thinking. I mean, it just does. Where and what part of the country you live in influences how you think and what you do, right? Thinking and what you put into your mind and what you dwell on, what you focus on, who you surround yourself with, all those things influence your thinking and influence the way you live, right? My goodness, it's definitely true, right? Keep thinking has to do with the will and the aim that motivates your actions, your actions. So Paul, he twice uses the phrase, the things above. He uses that twice. The things above are in contrast to the things of the earth. In the old life, right? The fallen creation, the world of sin and death that's fading away. Above is the new life where Christ is enthroned. And while we live physically in the old world, we seek to keep our minds on the things above. We occupy or we should Occupy our mind, not on the flesh, but on the spirit. So what are the things of earth then? What are those things? I mean, they're, they're easy, right? You know, my youth, my youth pastor in high school, he would say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> Keep your mind off of those things, right? Setting our minds on the, on, the, on the things of the earth means to focus on selfish interests rather than the interests of others. It means to occupy our mind with, a, with stuff. It's easy to do with status, with power, with achievements. 
and pleasure. It means to seek gratification for our fleshly desire. And that would include pornography and sexual fantasy, right? So James, who gives us a toolbox through, uh, full of practical wisdom, right? He says, he defines wisdom from earth, right? We're talking about the things of the earth and that we shouldn't focus on those things. He defines them as jealousy and selfishness leading to disorder and every evil practice, James 3.16. So what we're talking about here is obsession and having our minds preoccupied solely with the things of earth because they're not all, all the things of earth aren't bad, right? Just the things that move us away from God and we know what those are. We're intelligent creatures that know what things move us away from God. And there's plenty of things that we can do that are fun, that are entertaining, that don't lead us away from the things above and that keep our mind focused on the things above. So what are the things above? These would be things that are essential, that are eternal, things of the kingdom of God, God's will instead of our own will and God's glory instead of our own glory. And the things that God himself is all about, what is God all about? He's about salvation and saving. He's about redemption and redeeming. He's about love. He's about grace. What is grace? He's about giving us things that we don't deserve, actually. And he's about forgiveness. So James says, again, in such a practical way, James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy, and good fruit. Impartial and not hypocritical. Those are the things above. Matthew 6.33 says, But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness and all these things. What things? Daily needs and concerns will be given to you as well. If you focus on the things above, right? Seek first the kingdom. Put God first. Make sure he's first. He has first place. Your core identity is all about Jesus. He's got to have first place. So focus on those things. Seek those things. Focus on above, not the things here. And look what happens. This great promise says, these things will be given to you as well. All your needs will be met, right? So let's talk about the motivating reasons for living in Christ. Because there are motivating reasons that he lays out in verses 3 and 4. In particular, look at 3 and 4. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, by the way, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So why are the things, of, why the things above and not the things of earth? Paul mentions two things, two motivating reasons in these two verses. And the first reason is based on the fact that we are with Christ in this very moment. We're with Christ. If you surrendered your life to Christ, then you are with him. It's not way up there far beyond the clouds. That's where he's seated. But see, he leaves the Holy Spirit here with us. And so the Holy Spirit of God is here. So we are with Christ. He's in it with us in this very moment. Look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is one of my most favorite verses in all of this chapter right here. Because when you go back to Colossians 2.20, Paul said, if you've died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you live in the world? Now he says it again, and he implies that we died to the things of the earth. 
That stuff is dead. And here again, we see that being united with, his, with the death of Christ changes everything. In a mysterious way, when Christ died on the cross, we were there with him dying as well. You see, our earthly nature, the person that was born into this world, it's passed away. God had a kind of a funeral, so to speak. And that person no longer exists. Our relationship to the world and to our flesh have been severed and no longer has control over us anymore. So Paul will go on to say in verse five that we um, are to put to death any earthly part that remains in us. Get rid of it. Put it to death. It's not a part of your life anymore. And so as a result of dying with Christ, we're joined together with Christ in his resurrection and ascension. We're with Christ now. So in verse three, Paul says that our life is hidden with Christ. Hidden is a key word. Notice that Paul doesn't say that your body is hidden with Christ. He doesn't say that. He says your life is, is hidden with Christ. The essential, eternal, transcendent you is right now with Christ in God. Paul uses the the perfect tense, and I don't want to get too technical here, but it's language, and um, language is, is important, and words are important, meaning that it's happened in the past when you died, and it has ongoing and permanent effects now from here on out. Your life is hidden, meaning that it's invisible, so to speak. Hang with me. Hidden to others in some uh, measure is hidden to us, all right, as well. This life is also in God, meaning that it's not earthly or material. We are in God because Christ himself has his being in God. And those who belong to Christ have their being there too. The life of a believer is already a heavenly life. You can't exactly see then this, this life except through our actions and how it's fleshed out and lived out, right? So the second reason for living in Christ is based on the future then. Look at verse four, because here, here it comes. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that's an important word, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So the word appear means to reveal or to make known. It refers to the second coming of Christ and is a, a contrast to that word hidden, right? At this moment, Christ is hidden in the heavens, but there will be a day when he will become visible and that's gonna be a day, Right? When that happens, the hidden life of believers is also going to be revealed who's a true believer, right? Those who are in God will be in glory with him, the glory that is Christ by, by right, ours by grace then. We will share in Christ, Christ's likeness. We'll be clothed with our resurrection body. <laughs> it's going to look a lot better than this one. And not only is our life hidden with Christ, but Christ is our life. Clearly, the focus of these four verses is on Jesus. It's on Christ, who's mentioned four times right here. Presently, our, our life is hidden with Christ in God. In the future, it's going to 
be, uh, appear with him in glory. We are the person living in a faraway land, so to speak, right? This isn't our home. Our home is with him. We've received a new core identity if you are a follower of Jesus. And we look forward to a future of eternal bliss and glory with Jesus, right? So the mindset that we have now reorients all of our thinking. We live now much differently than we lived before. And this is really key. We seek the things above. We set our minds on the things above because even though we are physically here on earth, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, the words of Jesus, right? Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Look at this. We've journeyed through this verse together a lot as a church. It says, don't accumulate for yourselves treasures here on earth. Don't, don't do that. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven. Focus on those things. That's what's important where moth and rust isn't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is a great time to say, what does this have to do with me? And my heart, where's my heart? In the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that John? There's a story of two of John the Baptist, different person, two of John the Baptist's disciples, and they're following Jesus now. And Jesus turns around and he asks them, he says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And you're following me, so what are you seeking? It's a great scene in John chapter one. That's always a worthwhile question for all of us to contemplate and to think about. What are you seeking? That's where all this kind of comes down to. What's this have to do with me? Well, here's a chance. Ask yourself the question, what are you seeking? That's number one is your core identity in Christ. It's fairly easy to evaluate that if you will take a second and think that through. What are you setting your mind on? What is your mind preoccupied with all the time? See, your mind then determines so much of what your actions will be and what your mind is focused on kind of determines then how you live. What are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are you after? Where are you headed? Everybody's on this journey, and maybe you're seeking today, and you're looking for something. I'm telling you, the answers are here. The answers are here. Are your thoughts consistent with the things above, or is your mind preoccupied and focused on things on earth? Easy to get off track. Easy to get off track. King David's one of my most favorite Old Testament Bible characters. And at one point, he is anticipating his son Solomon building the temple. You know what? David really wanted to build the temple, but God said, your son is going to build the temple. And so he says to the leaders of Israel in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 19, look what he says. It's pretty powerful. He says, now seek the Lord, your God, wholeheartedly and with your entire being. Get up and build a sanctuary of the Lord God. And then you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy 
uh, items dedicated to God's service into the temple that is built to honor the Lord. But let me make this front and center, though, for you, because we're not in the Old Testament. And the temple now in the New Testament with the new covenant is right here. This is where God chooses to dwell and live, where his covenant resides and rests. The sanctuary now is in your heart, is in our hearts. And as we set our minds to seek the Lord, our life becomes a place now for the name of the Lord. This is it. And see, this is what Paul is saying. The great mystery that's been hidden for ages, it's now been revealed. It is Christ in you. It's Christ in you. Now it's to be revealed to the whole world. You see why our core identity is so important. Our core identity has to rest and be in Christ so we can fulfill our mission and our mandate. And by the way, that is the most satisfying then thing you can claim is your identity in Christ. I'm praying that you'll do that today and that you'll consider that. Will you pray with me just for a moment? Thank you, God, that the sanctuary now is in our hearts. So now help us, Lord God, to focus our minds on the things above, not the things here. Help us to seek the things that are important to you, not the things that are important to us. And to live in a way, especially now, that motivates people to want what we have, this core identity in Christ. We have Christ who satisfies and meets all of our needs. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.